Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. Welcome to Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, episode number six, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. So our topic for today's episode is about how you know if you're really hearing the voice of God, and what is this whole deal about hearing the voice of God in the first place? Is that just a freaky thing weird people do? Is it a normal part of life? It certainly is a normal part of Jesus's life, and of the disciples' life, and of pretty much anyone who followed him in the New Testament. (laughs) So it's an interesting thing to get at, and so if you're a new listener, my name is Rick, and I'm here with my co-host and friend, Becky. Hello! And we've we've definitely, uh, into podcast number six already, we've definitely talked about uh, listening to the voice of Jesus and being guided by Jesus in an everyday, normal, non-creepy way on many occasions. And I think we've had um, some feedback from people who are listening to the podcast and love the podcast that, um, you know, hey, I don't know exactly how to do that. And um, I feel like I would love to do that, but some of that kind of freaks me out. So we're going to deviate from a little bit of our normal routine, and and uh, we're going to pay ridiculous attention to Jesus in the context of what does that mean in our everyday life, and what what is Jesus trying to do to help us to have that kind of relationship with him where um, it's a conversational, intimate, um, every moment of the day kind of relationship instead of a compartmentalized church relationship, or now I'm having my quiet time relationship. What if this, this relationship could be the way Jesus intended? He and us, we and him, every moment of the day, and not because you're a spiritual giant, just because it's normal everyday life in the in the view of Jesus. So, so we've heard, like I said, from people who regularly listen and are quite not quite sure they know how to listen to and hear the voice of God. So, uh, Becky, why don't you tell us a few of the things that you've been hearing from people in response to this? So, um, and, and these are people who who are more like, "Hey, so I love what you guys are saying, but I really don't know how to do that." <laughs> um, and so we thought, "Wow, you know, we we should probably pause for a second. And I remember when I first um, became a Christian, it was really easy. I don't, I should, I shouldn't say it was really easy, but it was attainable to start reading the Bible and figuring out how to have um, that devotional time where I was kind of like learning, studying, and applying to my life." Um, that I got going to church and learning again, I got, um, but when I started having more Christian friends, they would say things like, oh, I heard this from the Lord. And I would be like, what? (laughs) Come on. Crazy people. The only crazy people hear the voice of God in their head, right? What are you talking about? So it was, you know, sometimes, you know, you remove yourself from, from those early years where everything was kind of fresh and new and weird. Um, and, uh, and then, 
and you forget. So these are some of the things that we've heard from our listeners. Um, I'm not sure I know the difference between my voice and Jesus's voice, which that's totally an, a, a legit question. How do I, what if it, what if I'm wrong? What if this is me guiding my life and not him? Um, the other one is I pray and ask God for things, but I don't think I have always considered that a two-way conversation more just like, Hey God, um, I need this, you know, help me with this or, Hey, my friend's going through this. I, d- I don't always expect for him to answer me back. Um, and then also this just feels a little weird and uncomfortable. It's not a part of my faith. I've really developed and I don't really know how to go about it. So I, I ended up writing a whole post on, on this and we're going to link to that on the podcast with some practical ideas for you. Um, but we thought, you know, let's pause and talk about this. Yeah. And, uh, uh, we talk in general, if you're, if you, especially if you grew up in the church, uh, it's the language of being guided by God in some way or being in God's will, you know, one of the things that often you hear in churchy language is, oh, I want to do God's perfect will. There's his okay will and his good will and then his perfect oh, will, and I want to totally. live in God's perfect will. <laughs> and so it's not only, uh, I mean, That's talk confusing. about... Yeah, talk about trying to hit the target from a football field away. How do I hit God's perfect will? If I don't hit his perfect will, I'm, I'm, I have to settle for the, the, you know, the garbage medium will of God. So... We have all these kind of gradations of what it means to live a life following Jesus, and sometimes we even create these whole kind of weighty structures around all of this that put lots of pressure on us. Like like just saying, I want to be in God's perfect will is a pressuring kind of statement. Like It's like finding, I, I want to find my soulmate, like the one person in the world who is, who is attuned just to me. So that's a lot of pressure. Good luck. <laughs> So I think this is much, much more normal, relaxed, peaceful, and everyday than we ever imagined it could be, and that's the way Jesus intended it. So um, let's let's explore this, I think, um, first through an encounter Jesus had that's in Matthew 18. So we're going to read from Matthew 18 in the Jesus-Centered Bible. Um, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. So if you're following along, you can flip open to Matthew 18, 1 through 10 right now, as long as you have a Jesus-centered Bible. Otherwise, yeah, I'm about it has to, to say, be a Jesus-centered yeah, I Bible. I guess so, yeah. So uh, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Wow. So uh, what a great question. H- who's on top, Jesus? Who's, who's the person, who are the kind of people we should most respect? Who, who are the people who've done the best? We want to know who the champions are. That's what they're asking. So then Jesus does something that is just jaw-dropping in response to this question. Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Okay, first of all, at this time in history, you had nothing to do with children. Children were, not, were less than invisible. They were a bother. And uh, you never would stop in the middle of an adult activity like this and invite a child to come in. And now Jesus is about to use this child as an example. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child 
is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is actually welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into the eternal fire with both your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown in the fire of hell. The fire of hell. Jesus said that. Um, Last, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. So, of course, there's a, lot's going, there's a lot going on here, but I would translate this as a monumental exclamation mark that Jesus is trying to bring across. Why is he doing all this stuff about it's better to gouge out your eyes and cut off your hand? He is trying to make a vigorous point about children and about childlikeness. And it's important to understand when he says... Uh, Anyone, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the culture of the kingdom of God right now. He's saying there's something native to children that is also native to the behavior patterns and cultural uh, patterns in the kingdom of God, and that he's asking his disciples to completely throw out their ideas of what maturity is, what greatness is, and reorient themselves to what children are like. Now, I think this is a crucial story, because if we're going to grow in our ability to have a more intimate, um, moment-to-moment, even conversational relationship with Jesus, we're going to have to treat it like little children treat a playground. So this is one of my favorite metaphors, and it really unlocked this for me um, through my friend Bob Krulish. Uh, more than a decade ago, Bob used to talk about um, uh, risking and following the voice of Jesus and asking Jesus to give guidance and even the small aspects of life. He used to call this just playing with God, and he used the word play all the time. And for me, growing up in the church, super serious about all, all aspects of my relationship with Jesus, play was kind of a, a jolting word to hear Bob use, but it really had a prophetic influence in my life, and I recognized that if all we're doing is playing on Jesus' playground, then all of the uh, weight and the pressure that we feel in, in our attempts to grow as disciples is taken off. So if you think about how a kid approaches a playground, there's, there's lots of different things to play on in the playground. And they might climb on one thing and say, you know, I don't like this as much as the slide. I'm going to go play on the slide. Or they might uh, get on the swing and they, and they might say to themselves, I want to swing and I want to jump so high off the swing that I jump right out of the sand pit. But actually they don't. Uh, and so they, they actually fall off the swing. So a kid who does that, who wants to jump out of the sand pit on the swing, will just get back on the swing and try it again. There's nothing really on the line when you're playing. There's something only on the line when you're working. So if you're playing and just trying stuff and experimenting with stuff, it kind of takes the pressure off of just experimenting 
in this aspect of your relationship with Jesus. And I think this is really the key to relaxing and letting yourself play with all of this and not putting so much weight on whether we're going to make a mistake in this or not. So, Becky, I know you've you've had a really interesting trajectory with this whole thing from moving from um, this being a totally foreign concept to this being a pretty normal part of your everyday life. So why don't you describe some of that trajectory for you? So one of the things I did is uh, when I first started out saying, okay, I want to I want to be able to, to listen to what God is telling me. And honestly, in my early 20s, I thought that was only going to be like things he wanted me to do, like to like um, further his mission and share his love. But as I got older, I realized this can be applied to just your everyday life. I talk about meal planning with Jesus. I have a friend who works out with Jesus. Um, these are all playful things, but I started out with just grocery stores and gas stations. And so every time I would go into a grocery store or a gas station, I would just be like, okay, God, if you ask me to do something inside here, whatever it is, I'll do it. And during that course of my time, I think I gave away a lot of stuff. There was a lot of like, Hey, um, if someone compliments, um, I had like, not like a shirt, but like an over shirt on, um, on, if someone compliments you on something, you just have to give it away in the store. And so a girl said to me, Oh, I love that vest thing you're wearing. And I was like, Oh, sure. Here you go. And I gave it away. And there was another time I, I think I had something in my car. It was like a book or something. And I felt prompted to give it to someone. I've paid for a lot of people's stuff. And, and so just during that time, I just, I listened, I heard, and I obeyed. And what happened is that all of a sudden I under, I, I could recognize what God's voice sounded like. And so then it became easier. I have, to, I, I have to push the pause button there. I just was fascinated by something you said in one of your examples. So you said, um, hey, God, if somebody compliments me on my shirt, then I'm going to give them my shirt. Is that mm-hmm. basically what you said? Mm-hmm. So, that, so um, it's important to point out there's no formula there. That's a kid playing. That's not uh, putting, you know, sometimes Christians will say, I'm going to put out a fleece. It comes from the Old Testament reference of putting out the fleece by your door, and if, they, and if it's wet in the morning. So uh, it's a way of testing God to make sure that this is from Him. So, you know, we get all wrapped up in the seriousness of this. Oh, God! If somebody compliments my shirt, I will give him my shirt, God. But actually, you're just a little kid saying, hey, hey Jesus, here's something fun. Mm-hmm. How about if the next person who, compl- who compliments me on my shirt, I just give him my shirt? Mm-hmm. That'd be fun. It's a playful experiment in your relationship with Jesus. And what's on the line there, really? Nothing, as long as you don't attach some kind of spiritual metric to yourself, that says, oh, well, that didn't work out. Kids don't do that on the playground. <laughs> well, and people have, people, some people I've told this to have said things like, well, how do you know that that did anything to them? Hmm. I don't. That, that was totally not the point. I don't think that my shirt was a Jesus message. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't like converting someone's life. Even when you pay for someone's meal, I mean, that's not really sharing the gospel. But it was about obedience. It was about my obedience, and it yeah. was about me, him teaching me, hey, this is what I sound like. Yeah, you know, um, when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he was trying to help his disciples understand what a positive thing this was. This, this really freaked him out. 
because he was talking about leaving and about dying, and he was talking about it in super positive ways, like in John 16 and 17. Mm-hmm. He's unnaturally positive about all this, and it and we, just like the disciples were, we would have been kind of like, what? You're leaving and that's good? We don't get it, Jesus. Mm-hmm. But the reason Jesus was so excited and so excited for them is that he knew when he left and died and was resurrected, that the, his spirit would come and live in them. And this um, outside relationship they had with him, that, you know, because he had a physical body. So the relationship they had with him was limited because he had a physical body. Jesus is saying, when I go, the spirit will come and that limitation will no longer exist. And actually, you see the huge difference in behavior of the disciples once Jesus leaves, because now they have the Spirit in them, nudging them, guiding them. And what you're describing is learning with little baby steps on how to respond to the nudges of the Holy Spirit in you. And that Holy Spirit's job description, primary job description, is to teach us everything that Jesus wants us to know. And He's right there in us. So really the issue is learning through baby steps how to respond to those little nudges, and the way we do that is by playfully responding to them, not putting too much weight on our response to them. So how do you know that this voice is the voice of God, the voice of Jesus, and, and not your voice? I mean, it's, it's a pretty simple question. Yeah, so here's the thing, is that if you're confident that God has given you authority on earth, you can, you can use that authority and say, in the name of, of Jesus, I say that my voice is silenced. You, you silence your own voice, and you, you call on that authority that he's given you, and you just say, I don't want to hear my thoughts. I only want to hear Jesus' thoughts, and it's, it's that simple. Um, and Pause there for a second. So the centurion understood this really well because the centurion understood authority really well. This is why Jesus was amazed with the centurion. The centurion said, oh, you don't even need to come to my house. I'm a man under authority, I get it, you have authority over these, this demonic spirit, all you do is say the word, Jesus, I get it, the spirit's going to leave. And Jesus is like, wow, man, you really understand the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is about authority. And so you're saying, I can take authority over my own voice. And having confidence in that authority, he gave it to you. Right. It's a, it's a power that he gave you. And you don't have to yell and scream about it yeah. or shake your fist and say, oh, I really mean it this time. It's just authority is either it, it either is or it isn't. And Jesus is saying it is. And we also have authority over any demonic spirits. Um, Satan is real. He's all throughout the Bible. Bob Krulish, my friend, used to <laughs> this used to wig me out. Bob would see me and he'd said, and he'd say something like, uh, "How's your relationship with Satan today, Rick?" And what Bob was trying to do was emphasize to me that we all have a relationship with that lying voice in our life. He came to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's bent on doing it in my life. If we don't recognize that he's actively trying to destroy me right now, and 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 instead of pa- passively receive that kind of garbage in our lives, and don't stand up and take the authority that Jesus has won for us and, and just stop it, tell him to shut his mouth. The number of times I tell the enemy of God to shut his mouth, I, I do it probably every day. But instead of arguing with him about it or trying to talk myself out of whatever I'm wrestling with, why not just stop and say, shut up? Uh, You don't have any right. You don't have any authority to keep speaking to me. 
And one thing I often say is, um, I'll speak directly to that line spirit that I'm feeling or wrestling with, and I'll say, I want you to go where Jesus tells you to go now. I don't even do anything with it. I just say, whatever Jesus tells you to do, go do it right now. So that sounds like, whoa, what? But when Bob says, uh, said to me, uh, how is your relationship with Satan today? He was really expressing a biblical truth, because Jesus made it clear that we have an enemy, and we have a relationship with that enemy, and Jesus was engaged with that enemy a lot. I mean, if you just examine the patterns of, his, of what he did on an everyday basis, if we said, if we just said, WWJD, oh my goodness. Cast out demons. Like half of our time every day. <laughs> Casting if, of demons. <laughs> if, if, and so some people say, well, that age is over, that season is over. You know, it was just during the time that Jesus was on earth, but it's clear that the enemy of God was a major part of the story of the early disciples, and there's no reason to say that he isn't still an active part of our everyday life. You don't have to be a weirdo or a creepy person or a wacko to recognize just the obvious truth that Jesus is trying to bring across, that we have somebody whose voice often does um, lie, lie to us for the purpose of destroying us. Or it influences other people in our life, too, you know, that are, you're, that are close to you, and you go, what's going on here, you know? So we have to, we have to recognize that, and I'm just shameless promotion. Rick Lawrence wrote this book <laughs> called Sifted. I'm not kidding you guys. It's so good. I binge read it in eight hours, because that's how I read books. <laughs> um, but it talks a lot about how Jesus gave permission to Satan to sift us like wheat. Um, and I'm going to let you find out what that means in the book. Oh, but what a freaky intro into that. But that book is really about um, Jesus's primary mission in our lives, which is to set captives free. And how does he go about setting captives free? Well, he goes to extraordinary measures to free us from our captivity. And he did so with Peter, and that's where the title of that book comes from. He, it's right after the Last Supper, and Jesus just speaks bluntly to Peter and says, hey, Satan's demanded to sift you like wheat, and sifting isn't what you do with flour when you're baking a cake. It is a violent uh, kind Pounding. of... A violent experience. So when Peter heard sifting, he was like, oh, whoa, what are you saying? So he said, Satan's demanded to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that when you return, you'll strengthen your brothers. And what he was saying is, and I didn't tell him no. So... Jesus has purposes in all of this to set Peter free and to set us free. So, and it very much does involve um, our relationship with him and our relationship with Satan. And Jesus has a lot to say about that triangle of relationships. So, so we're talking about um, how do we know it's the voice of God? And you've said um, something you do, and I, I do this reflexively now, silence my own voice, I silence the voice of the enemy, that's all it takes. You don't have to use a different inflection, you just say it, take the authority. And then you're basically what you're doing is you're inviting Jesus to be the only voice that you hear. And then what? So um, the fruit of the Spirit, which is Galatians 5, 22 through 23, open up your Jesus-centered Bible and read it. <laughs> um, it's, it's evidence of, of the Spirit working in us. And so one of the things that I did early on in my relationship with Jesus when we, when we were playing around with this idea that I would listen to him is I was really insecure about um, 
I was really insecure about my own voice and, and that I would do the right thing and I would listen to the right thing. And so I asked Jesus to do this thing and we've been doing it for years and years now where I say, Jesus, if this is from you, then wash me with peace from head to toe. But if it's not, make me so anxious that I can't even sleep, that I can't do anything. I'm, I'm in total unrest because I know that something I did or something that I'm hearing or something that someone else spoke to me. This happens actually probably more, more than anything is someone else speaks something into your life. They give you some sort of advice and it's, and Jesus is like, I don't want you to take that in. I don't want you to take that in, you know? And, um, and so just, you know, this has really been a, something that really works for me. So wait a minute. Do you, you know, do, I just want to pause here again. Do, do you hear the chatter of the children on the playground in what Becky is saying? It's when kids are on a playground, they'll say, hey, what about if you guys go up uh, on the slide and we're going to go over on the swings and we'll count to three and then we're going to play tag and then you guys have to get down to the tetherball pole before we can tag you? They're just making up a game on the spot <laughs> because it's fun. Yeah. And that's all you're really doing. You're, you're sort of making up a, a way to relate to Jesus and have fun while you're doing it, and anything's fair game. So I, I often, you know, people often say things like, you know, it's ridiculous to pray for a parking space that's so, so, you know, entitled and so me-centered. And I used to think that too, and, and then I thought, but I think the exact opposite now. If, if it matters to me, why can't I share it with Jesus? No matter what it is. If it matters to me, why can't I share it with him? Because if what he really wants is the kind of intimacy that is him and me and me and him, and if you want any part of me, you have to eat my body and drink my blood, such an intimate statement. If what he's really after is intimacy, then the best expression of intimacy is in the tiny little nooks and crannies of our life that we invite him into and that nothing's off limits. Well, and I, I, ever since I started my dieting experiment with Jesus, um, which you can hear about in other episodes, um, every time a girlfriend says to me, oh, I got to get back on track. I'm going to put myself on a diet. And I just say, you know what? Before you do that, before you choose that program or whatever you're going to do, check in with Jesus. Just check in with him and say, hey, God, I'm feeling really off track what do you, what do you want me to do? And I bet you're going to find that if he says, yeah, you know what, let's get back on track. Let's lose some weight. What he's going to choose for you is easier than what you're going to choose for yourself. And you're probably going to succeed because when he's in it and it's his thing, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. So he's going to give you the self-control that you need to do it. And then you're going to finish it and you're going to feel good about it. But if he says, you know what, I don't, I don't know why you're focusing on that. <laughs> Then you're you're probably not gonna probably not gonna complete the, the challenge. So two things about what you just said. Um, so you said check in, and so I'm imagining people going, "Oh, that sounds right." Oh, how do you do that? <laughs> so checking in, um, it, uh, the image I like to use with people, I, I lead people into many many experiences where I'm asking them to um, discern the voice of Jesus and do something as a result of it. So I'm used to doing this with people. I know some of the fears and cautions they have with this. So one thing I say to them is, um, hey, this is not an assessment of your spiritual maturity. If you get nothing, you get nothing. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. 
It's not the time for that. So take the pressure off. Um, this, the second thing I, I always say is um, imagine yourself like you're a catcher's mitt uh, um, behind the plate, and there's a pitcher out there on the mound, and they're going to throw you a pitch. And the only work, quote-unquote, you're doing is you're holding your mitt out for the ball to come in. You're not working to try to find the voice of Jesus. You're just, your posture is invitational and vulnerable and open, and you, you believe that he's going to pitch you a ball. That's the way to say it. The, the pitcher's on the mound, he's got the ball in his hand, and you've said, uh, throw me a strike, and you hold your mitt out, and all you're doing is waiting for him to throw the ball to you. Um, the key is that you receive it when it comes, because here's where it breaks down for a lot of people. They'll say something like, well, how do I really know that, like you've already said, how do I really know that's God, or how do I, what if that's just me? What if it is? What if you just experimented and said, um, I'm going to assume this is from God, and I'm going to catch it, and then I'm going to ask him, if I don't understand it, I'm going to ask him, what does this mean? What do you want me to do? I don't understand that. Can you help me? Let him do his job, be a good shepherd, and help you discern whether that's from him or not. Now, one thing that's very true is that the voice of Jesus will never be a destructive, negative, tearing-down voice. Even when Jesus is hard with me, and he often is, it's never destructive. It's usually very gentle. Right. Or it's even funny. Mm -hmm. Like you and I have both said, we've had this similar experience sometimes where we've said, something about something we're worried about, and Jesus will say something back to us like, none of your business, mm -hmm. but he says it like a close friend, not a damning kind of voice. I know it's his voice because, believe it or not, most times Jesus speaks, there is an element of playfulness in his voice. He, he doesn't take you or your problems too seriously. He's relaxed. He knows how the story ends. <laughs> so... Jesus' voice is not anxious and uh, wringing the hands, and it's, it's, it's the voice you would expect Jesus to have. So, but how do you know for sure? Well, you don't. You don't. You, know, you don't know for sure. But that's the point of playing on the playground. If you don't play on the playground equipment, you'll never kind of exercise this muscle, and you'll never get better at listening to his voice or responding to his nudge. The way to get better at responding to the nudge of the Spirit is to respond to the nudge of the Spirit. <laughs> yep. To just start doing it. Just start small. Don't start with, like, the biggest decision you have to make in your life right now. You know, start with something really small. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about, I, I mentioned in a previous podcast about my daughter Lucy um, wanting uh, guidance from Jesus, specific guidance from Jesus about whether she should go back a second time to be a counselor at Camp Barnabas this summer. She'd already been once, um, she felt compelled to go back, but she didn't know if it was just her trying to reclaim a great experience by wanting to go back, or whether Jesus was really calling her to go back. And from my perspective, my wife's perspective, we didn't want her to go back. She was already gone for 10 days out of the summer. We wanted her to be around. So I had skin in the game that I really didn't want her to go back, but I'm listening to her heart, and she's asking me, Dad, how do I know? What do I, where do I go from here? And, and um, I, I, I stopped. Uh, this is ever so brief, these things that happen. I stop inside and say, Jesus, how do, how do I respond to her? And what surfaced for me was, hey, Lucy, um, I think that if 
you have, if things fall into place for you to go back, if one thing after another just seems to fall into place, then that will be, in this situation, Jesus' guidance in your life. But if you have to work hard and to make this happen, then I think you need to be very cautious about where this is coming from. How does that sound? She said, Dad, that sounds right. I'm going to do that. Now, it took faith for her because she really wanted to go, and she knew that if she ended up having to work hard to make it so, that she was accountable. Now, is that a formula? No. It's just in the moment, that felt like the right thing to say to Lucy as far as the confirmation of his guidance, and it turned out to be true. Everything did fall into place for her. She went, and it was clear she uh, that was exactly where she needed to be for those 10 days, and it was a life-changing experience for her. But it doesn't mean that every time that's how Jesus is going to confirm his voice. But he will do something if you ask him, whatever it is, to confirm it. And you have come up with lots of playful ways, you've already mentioned some, that he confirms his voice to you. We can set it out any way we want to, mm-hmm. if we want to, just as long as, as long as what we're doing is we're operating in faith and trusting him to confirm whatever that is. And, and sometimes, you know, if, if God asks you to do something and you think, oh gosh, God, um, that seems really big. And there's so many things that would have to come into play. So the first thing I can think of is X. Um, we don't have enough money for X and, and we would need X in order to be able to do what you're asking us to do. Mm-hmm. So if you come up with the money and provide X, then I will take that as confirmation that we should move forward. And then it just suddenly happens. So, you know, or it you doesn't, can, or it doesn't, and or you it go, doesn't you know happen. what? I'm not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's just as much an act of faith and intimacy as responding to the confirmation. If there's no confirmation, then it's an intimate thing to say, I get it. I, I, I need to rethink this. I need to come back to you. So maybe uh, what we can uh, close with here is uh, uh, just a reference to the Jesus-centered life. In, in the chapter called Experiencing More, Automating Less, the last two-thirds of Jesus-centered life are beeline practices. Um, they're simply everyday, intimate ways to orbit your life around Jesus more closely. There, it's a menu of opportunity, basically. Lots of different ways to do this, and one of these chapters is called Experiencing More, Automating Less. And essentially what that means is we prefer to automate our relationship with Jesus, meaning we prefer it to be distant, us in control, and f- to follow formulas and recipes, because all of those things don't add up to intimacy. Intimacy scares us, but it's the one thing Jesus wants. So I've had to learn over time how to urge my way toward intimacy with him. It didn't happen overnight. So in this chapter, I have a, a, uh, a, um, a little from-to uh, kind of a schematic that we can maybe find a way to post on the site. Yeah, we'll put it on the page and you can download it. But it's just thinking about how I normally would do something in an automated way to um, how I can do, it, do this in a dependent way with Jesus um, that requires me to be guided by him. So, for instance, I'm just going to give you one, and then you can see the rest on the, on the website. So you can go from praying for others by asking them what they need, and then brainstorming your prayer based on what you know about what their need is, to praying for others by asking Jesus first how to pray for that person, and then waiting for his direction before we ever open our mouth. This is a prayer that's based on what he knows, 
and supercharges our prayer time by making it surprising, fun, and experiential. I have done this hundreds of times with groups now, and I can tell you two things happen. Um, and it's usually with ministry leaders that I'm doing this with, people who are professional Christians, <laughs> and two things happen. Uh, one is that people are astonished that Jesus is actually real, because when you pray for somebody and you don't know what their need is, and you don't even know who they are, you're praying for a stranger, and you pray based on the guidance of Jesus, and what you pray is uh, could never be known by you, so the person being prayed for realizes, oh my gosh, they're praying in a way that they should not be able to pray for me. So both people in that in that prayer time have a profound sense that the Spirit of Jesus is real. So that's one thing that happens. And another thing that happens is that people recognize, Jesus loves me. He cares for me. He loves the details of my life. Um, it's a profound experience to invite the guidance and voice of Jesus rather than simply maintaining the control that we love so much and brainstorming our way through prayer. So that's just one example. There's lots of other ways to do this. But the, the overarching thing is to bring the playground into your life more, take yourself and even take Jesus less seriously. I hope you hear what I mean by that, that Jesus isn't scowling all the time. He actually has a smile on his face, and he loves to play with us. So let's play more by uh, listening for his voice, following it to the best we can, and when we fall down, get up and get back on the swing. Anything Anything you want to say as a kind of a wrap-up, Becky? I, I would say that the last thing is, is if you if you have a journal, just start writing this stuff down. Because you know what? If you want confirmation about, did God really follow through? We get so busy in our lives, we forget the things that he's following through on. So when you write them down and then you go back and read and you circle the things that he fulfilled, you go, oh my gosh, he's working all over my life and I didn't even, I don't pay attention to it enough. And so I would say, you know, journaling is a great way to just keep track of it. And, um, and we're so excited to be on this journey with you. Learning to talk to Jesus is so amazing. And we just are glad to talk about it. It's the normal Christian life. It's what Jesus expects as normal. So, Hey, thanks for listening as always. And, uh, just as a reminder that you can find out more information about everything we talked about today. And that little from to thing that I was talking about you can find all that on the JesusCenteredLife.com website. You can find our podcast section there, too, and this is episode six. If, if this is the first time you're listening, uh, I'd invite you to go backwards and listen to the previous ones to uh, see where this journey is taking you. This podcast is called Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. Uh, it's from Lifetree, and you sub- can subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest, pod- pod- uh, all the latest podcasts. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.